Hi, I'm Greg Mastrider, and this is my podcast on trends of development of technology and our society. And today here with me is Mabel Jan, Chief Revenue Officer of Stepan. Hi, Mabel. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me here. I'm very excited to have this conversation with you because Stepan is one of the fastest growing Web3 companies, one of the unique examples of how guys created a service that helps mass adoptions. But also there are many questions regarding how it's been operated under the current market conditions and what the future of Web3 in general and move to earn in general is and Stepan in particular. And also you have a very unique experience in Web3. So lots of questions. But first of all, I'd like you to start by briefly telling our viewers and listeners about your experience in Web3, how you got into that area, because this is something that is very interesting for many of my viewers. They are asking questions. Web3 is booming. This is very interesting. But how do I get in? Uh, what is the typical career path? Or is there even one in this sphere? Yeah, sure. Happy to talk about that first. So hi, everyone. My name is Mabel Jang. Um, I think Greg already introduced myself as the Chief Revenue Officer of Fine Satoshi Lab, which is the um, the team behind Step In. And also we have a few other products within our suite that we were developing. So I guess I can maybe talk a little bit about my background first, right? Um, so I started in crypto back in 2018. Um, that's like right after the crypto peak of last cycle. So a lot of people learn about crypto probably around 2017, like when Ethereum, when Bitcoin became very popular. I personally like financially invested into it, but really didn't learn a lot until the beginning of 2018. So before that, I, I started my career in um, banking in New York. So I was doing co corporate restructuring for about close to three years. And then after the initial career of primarily around restructuring, I felt like I wanted to explore something beyond just finance. So I stepped into a um, corporate strategy role within a large unicorn company in China at that time. Um, but very soon I learned about Web3. And at that time, we don't really talk about Web3 because Web3, this is a notion of you own your data. It's about the, the self-data sovereignty, that type of idea. Like at that time, people would just talk about this industry as blockchain industry or crypto industry. At that time, I was very fascinated by the idea of whether, you know, having you know, something on chain, you can actually own it yourself through, you know, being stored on the non-custodial wallets or, you know, you can guarantee the execution of certain things with smart contract, this and that. So I started to learn about it myself and then like decided to quit to my previous job. That's like only lasted for about like four months or so and joined a family office in China at that time. So I was doing a lot of research, doing, you know, a lot of the founder interviews and just, you know, chatting with people and go to a lot of developer conferences and whatnot for those two years, primarily 2018 and 19. And I realized that crypto or blockchain industry is like extremely, extremely global industry where there were a lot of people just, they can, you know, even before the COVID era, like people who started to work at home and then work remotely, and then they can work with each other, even if they haven't met each other yet. So that was very fascinating. So I thought, you know, if I could work with, you know, my bilingual ability, as well as my interest um, with the group of people around the world, 
that bridging the information gap could be like a huge alpha in investing and stuff. Mm -hmm. So in 2019, I decided to join Multicoin Capital, which I think a few, quite a few people know about it because of Solana. Um, they were the biggest investor in Solana. At that time, it wasn't very famous, but um, we both shared the idea of being able to bridge the information asymmetry between Asia and the U.S., so I decided to work with them together. And then obviously I'm still in Asia and then everyone else on my team is in, in the U.S. And then oftentimes we just chat on Slack and then share a lot of the information observation that we have locally. And because of, you know, that kind of information asymmetry bridging, no one else had that. So I think for a long period of time, there was a, a huge alpha that we were generating through just having people globally. After three years at Multicoin, um, I was a partner there for two years. And then I left Multicoin in May 2022 and then joined Stepin as the chief revenue officer. There are many things worth discussing uh, among those you mentioned. Uh, actually, one, one yeah. of those that fascinates me a lot is this information asymmetry between Asia and especially mainland China and uh, uh, the West which is why I'm learning Chinese currently and uh, I'm uh, intending to go and live for some time in China this year. So <laughs> this is something that I also experience this same asymmetry and that I want to work with, um, including uh, with my personal blogs, etc., etc. So uh, for viewers and listeners interested in China, more content on this uh, interesting country will follow. As to your career path, uh, and joining the move to earn industry. Uh, how did you decide to, to go work for Stepan? So were you a move to earn enthusiast at that time or uh, you with your vast experience with uh, uh, deals with Web3 projects, you saw potential in this project, uh, but you were not like an active user. What was uh, the first time that you learned about Stepan? Probably some early stage. <laughs> you might be surprised, but I was longtime friend with Jan the co-founder of Stepin. And then through him, I got to know Jerry very early on. Because of that, I I was probably the first investor that they talked to back in the days when they were trying to raise funds. And then it wasn't very successful. Like for both Jerry and Jan, they were very experienced serial entrepreneur. But um, I think that was both their first time being a founder in crypto, like founding a project. You know, I chatted with them on behalf of Multicoin. We decided to pass but I still think they have very high potential. Um, I personally think very highly of both of them. So after briefing the firm, because the, the firm already passed, um, I decided to personally invest it in, in, in this project. At that time, we still call ourselves Stepin instead of Find Satoshi Lab. Um, so yeah, I was one of the earliest investor of Stepin at that time. And then as they continue to grow, like, let me talk a little bit about their fundraising story, because I think that's also very interesting. One of the only Web3 projects that managed to get uh, Sequoia on board, which is really amazing. Yes, but at that time, most of the other crypto native funds, they do not want to invest because they don't really have a lot of connections and whatnot. So they weren't able to get a lot of funding. And then I was like, okay, you guys are working on 
Solana, and then you seem to have a very strong product background, which they actually iterated their initial MVP like very, very soon after they started fundraising. So I was like, you should just use this MVP, mini viable product, to participate in a hackathon of Solana and see if you can get anything. And then after they got into the Solana hackathon and they won prizes. It's not even number one. I think it was ranked number four or something within the gaming track. But still, a lot of people start to reach out to them and investor wanted to invest in this and that. So like the whole flywheel kind of started. So I kind of reinforced my thought about like, you know, a lot of the Asian founders are very good with product building, but they're not as good at selling their goods. But still, like with a very strong product, like you would be able to bootstrap your initial users that time, like that was still like a very interesting observation. But it was since the first period of time of the product growth, like when it actually go into the market, like I've seen the re- very rapid growth from 10k to 30k to te- like 100k. And then I still remember back in the summer of 2021, when they were raising funds, they were like, we were hoping that you know, the DAU towards the end of 2022, it can get to 100K. But guess what? Like the peak, the peak of Step in Daily Active was at 1 million. So it was very amazing. So I think around March, I already realized that, okay, this might be something that could potentially really change how a lot of people think about crypto. Because I think for me, I started in crypto for a long period of time. So I had the kind of like on-chain maxis kind of, mentality. But then I started to question myself, like maybe some product that can actually get a lot of adoption, mass adoption, may not need everything to be on chain. The key thing is about getting people register their first wallet and then let them enjoy what they're doing and then maybe introduce the swap, which we have within our, our app as well. Like those small little things can really get, you know, the real world users rather than, you know, having you know, them to do something extremely complicated because like people won't understand. So then it really changed my mentality. I was like, I know nothing about consumer growth. I know nothing about um, these. And I think really this is something I should start to learn about and also like try to maybe grow with them because I really see the potential. And then I reach out to Jerry and say like, I wanted to join you guys instead of just being the investor. So that was the story. Great story. Thanks for sharing. And by the way, I forgot to mention that you have an amazing hard loan podcast, although I cannot uh, understand the episodes that are in Chinese. Many of them are <laughs> in English. And I do urge everyone interested in Web3 to go follow this podcast uh, via the link in the description. There are episodes with many Web3 experts in English and in Chinese, some of them. By the way, also with Jerry and Yon. Check it out. Let's talk more about Stepan. This is a company that... Uh, Uh, I think uh, uh, fascinates many people, uh, including myself, by the way, disclaimer, I am a longtime Stepan user and I'm an official uh, Stepan content ambassador. I am also emotionally and financially invested in this company. First question that would come to mind to most members of uh, my audience would be what's happening right now, because many people have heard about Stepan, many of my audience have used it, but many of them have heard that the with the crypto winter and this recession overall uh, the prices have gone down uh, less people like are using the app right now what's the situation right now and uh, maybe you could give a brief overview of what happened to those who don't know what we are talking about 
Yeah, for sure. Happy to maybe just talk a little bit about what, you know, Stepan has went has been through and what we are planning for the year ahead. I think admittedly, everyone within this industry would have experienced some sort of user drop. So I think that's not a secret at all. And we have as well. But still, I think within the app, we still have quite significant of um, number of DAU. I would say compared to the peak, we were dropped around 60 to 70%. But we still... Mm-hmm. I think remain a very high DAU compared to a lot of the product. Obviously, like those are not on chain activities because when people are like playing within the app, like they were just using the the centralized server. Only when they need to have some sort of asset like change, right? If they want to sell the GST into USCC or maybe they want to, you know, buy anything, like they would need to use the swap. So that's like considered on-chain. So on-chain data, like kind of lower number, but reality within the app every day, we still have quite significant numbers of users. In terms of what we experienced in 2022 for the whole year, so I think like the number goes like what I said, from 10K to 30K and then 500K. And by the time we got on Binance, it was around 100K DAU. And then immediately after, so that was the only on Solana. And then after we got on Binance, we also started the second chain, which is BNB Mm -hmm. chain. At that time, it was called Binance Smart Chain. We started to do multi-chain operations. And then the whole audiences of Stepin, because of, you know, the price surge and this and that, it went up a lot. In, In April and May, um, we see like a very, very significant growth of the users, but also like a bubble, obviously, within the app and also like the whole market, right? I think if people are not familiar with the crypto market, in June, we experienced Luna crash, right? And then very soon after, not very soon, but like after that, within this year, we also had FTX and, and this and that. So very, very trippy the whole thing. But I would say like one thing about the user growth in the early days that we had experience is that having too fast of a user growth in the early stage is definitely not as healthy because like people come here, a lot of them are no longer just came here for the health or just kind of enjoy the fun. They're actually here to speculate. Like they try to make yeah. a, a lot of fast money and which is not good. So Starting from June after the Luna crash and, you know, the market correction and this and that, like we are seeing the drop of users and because like a lot of them actually came in for the money and if there's not enough money for them to make, like they will leave. But what remains within the app who are still using every day are the ones they who actually wants to, you know, spend time with their family or maybe just like, or like kind of incentivize themselves, continue to exercise. So like after like, you know, five, six months of gradual corrections and then, you know, the, the market obviously washed some people out. We are still having a lot of very loyal community members on Twitter, on Discord. We're still interacting with us. So now today, like what we are doing, we are focusing doing is that try to reward people both emotionally and in some other way, like, you know, with certain financial incentive, but not very strong financial incentive. It's all about like try to give back the community what they've provided us. So we try to create, say, a few in-app in events that, you know, allow people to engage with the app and have more fun and have new things to do. Or like, you know, we are going to bring in the achievement system um, that we previously planned out to, to help people know better about like, you know, where they are within the whole whole system and this and that. So I think all of these that 
we are doing and then we'll continue to do this year in 2023 is about providing you know a lot of engagement within the app and then for users to be better among like engaged among themselves and connect with each other because i do think one thing about crypto is that people are too focused on the screens and you don't really get the time to really, you know, put down your phone or get out of your room and just, you know, spend time with the real world people. And one value that we saw from, you know, operating step in is that people actually get together. They bond with each other offline through a lot of these meetups. And I think that's extremely valuable. I totally agree. Uh, and as a biohacking uh, evangelist, uh, I also am most excited about the way Stepan has changed the lives of many people, including my uh, some of my friends who started uh, running or jogging or walking around much more thanks to using this app. Those who were in just for the money, many of them dropped out, but those who were for, in for lifestyle change, they stay. By the way, you mentioned a 60 to 70% drop in, I think, daily or maybe monthly users. I don't remember exactly. It's the same, right? It's the same. Mm -hmm. We still have more than 1 million monthly active users. Mm -hmm. At the peak, you had more than 1 million daily users. Now you have several hundred thousand daily users or something like that. That's right. Across three different chains, Um, Mm -hmm. Solana, BNB chain and Ethereum. What does uh, a chief revenue officer do at such company as Fine Social Lab, uh, Stepan, and other companies uh, of this group? What's your typical day at work like? I know that you do many things like media, like podcasts, but if we focus on the uh, chief revenue officer role, can you please go over your work day? It's interesting that like people like to ask a daily life or what's the typical day for you. So, you know, like working at a startup and try to grow product, it's really not like you go to, you know, do banking and then you typically come to the office 8.30 and then you start drinking coffee and then you do the spreadsheet and this and that. It's not like that kind of role, right? So I can probably talk a little bit more about my responsibility. I would say the TLDR version of that is that I spend quite a bit of time thinking about the next step of the company strategy like what we should do or focus on to kind of drive, continue to drive new growth of the company. The growth meaning, you know, maybe some product that we haven't really, you know, some idea that we never thought about, or maybe some partnership that we could potentially explore. But then usually from one idea to something that we execute, we try to make it more systematic um, in Mm -hmm. a sense that, you know, let's say if there is an idea about, you know, growing a partnership. So maybe we can think about within the same category of the partners, who else might be interested in working with us and how do we in a similar replicable structure to continuously doing this type of partnership so that like once we were able to build up the structure then you know our team business development side that they can continue to follow on right so a lot of those is about thinking about lead generation and then try to get the first case to be successful and then try to replicate that to do in multiple times with many other partners that are in the same category. That's for the partnership. For like the new ideas, right? Like say um, we've already had step in, right? 
So how do we really leverage what we learn from Stepin and try to scale it and help more people to build some applications that can be used by people? And that was really inspiration we got from for more because more essentially the launchpad is trying to help people to launch their applications, their projects, you know, with the beginning of using launching the, the initial Genesis NFT issuance and then get the bootstrap, the initial users, the initial community. Because I think the Stepins experience told us that if you want to build an application, a project, you know, the best way to bootstrap your community, your initial organic group of users is actually through, you know, airdropping or giving away the, the Genesis NFTs that we had, which was exactly what we did. I mean, obviously, sure, we did have our governance token GMT, but like NFT is extremely important when it comes to building a community. So like if we are talking about some of the co-creation projects or maybe there are some other type of you know, groups that need some sort of membership passes, utility membership pass. All of these need a launchpad or a place for them to issue their Genesis NFT and find their true fans. So I think this is really like what I try to constantly think about, like what we built in one case that were successful and then can continue to scale it into something that can be replicable. And that is extremely relevant to the growth, to the revenue, and then to the long-term um, strategy of the company. This is uh, interesting because uh, you say that uh, basically, if I'm not mistaken, most of your job revolves around uh, some strategic uh, thinking about some visionary stuff. And uh, this is <laughs> really captivating, but this is probably something that makes Web3 industry really stand out because there are so many new ways to do things, new uh, opportunities that have never existed even before due to some technological, lack of technology, for example. Yeah, I, what I would say is that I think what Find Satoshi Lab was trying to do, there's nothing like breaking technology or like at the frontier of technology. It's also about, I think, a lot of things that are non-technical. It's about like, how do you leverage your experience of building community? How do you identify, you know, successful cases that, you know, your, you know, you previously were able to achieve and then try to scale it, right? A lot of those are kind of around both the under, a deep understanding of your business as well as like try to think of it, you know, larger way that, you know, what is the best way to try to make sure that you ride on the success and then keep building on top of it and then help more people to grow. So, and then it becomes from one product evolves into a ecosystem. Yeah, looking forward to more news about the development of uh, your ecosystem, because this is that I think could change the market and step on being like uh, the, the pioneer in many areas and find Satoshi Labs being a pioneer in many areas. In any case, it's interesting to follow. And uh, I uh, recommend everyone uh, listening to this or watching this podcast, uh, follow the news on uh, the company. And I'll give the links to the Stepan communities uh, in the descriptions for everyone interested. Another question regarding your role. You spoke about many areas where 
you are involved. Obviously, there are things that you cannot talk about due to like uh, trade secrets and stuff like that. But maybe you can give one example of one of the most challenging tasks that you had in your role as uh, the chief revenue officer and how you managed to cope with it. It's always about zero to one, right? I think the same thing um, comes with step in. I mean, I wasn't there in the team full time when we were trying to bootstrap from zero to one. But it's always like finding your initial customers is the, the hardest. So I think for the recent, most of my time was on focusing on more, which is already I explained, it's our NFT marketplace. It has one launch pad that helps people to do primary sales of their NFTs. So without prior, although sure, we do have step in as like one pr prior kind of successful case. And then we have quite a few community, but I would say a lot of the community members of step in does not overlap with, you know, the more users. So how do we think about, you know, growing, like trying to create a flywheel and then growing the the pie and then try to get some market share for for more, right? That's absolutely the hardest. Like zero to one is always the toughest because you never built anything to prove that you will be successful. Then why do any of the um, NFT projects want to launch with you? Like you have to find exactly their pain point, right? Like things that you can uniquely provide to them that none of the other people can provide, such as, you know, the experience of community building, which a lot of our experience, a lot of our ambassadors have, like including yourself, like people have the ability to, to help other projects to build their community. And also things like we would do a lot of the, the creator kind of uh, mentoring and boot camping, which is a, a lot of the launch pad, they don't really do that because it's not very efficient. It's not very scalable. But we do think that with the best creators, like with the best projects, it's worthwhile the time of incubation and providing the resources. So I think the way we think about our launch pad is really to try to uh, identify the best builders, and then make sure that they are the one that being rewarded. Meaning, you know, a lot of the marketplace, they kind of say that like they are not going to offer, enforce the royalty because it's not enforceable on chain anyways. But we stand on the point that we think even if on chain royalty is not enforceable, we still want the creators the project founders to be able to earn from their project. So our marketplace, like we do not take away the royalty from the creators, right? So that's another like kind of very important point, like why people want to work with us. So like essentially all of the things that I do every day is try to think about how do we make sure, how do we take actions to help our platform to attract people that wants to work with us? And how do we better serve them? Because the key thing about having users is that we need to have very high quality content and people will come. And then as these projects grow and then people grow with them, they obviously benefit from that and they will like more as a launchpad and they will keep coming back. So, I mean, it's all like very simple, simple stuff. It's very easy to say, then done.
you mentioned already the Luna crash, the FTX uh, crash, and currently the market is not in ideal condition. Although mm-hmm. we see some positive trends at the beginning of this year, uh, we will see what 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 happens next and how long the crypto winter will last. Has it become more challenging to work, for example, with launching new projects, uh, with developing the launchpad? Uh, because from what I've heard, the statistics show that there's been a, a significant drop in the number of projects that are launching right now in uh, uh, the volume of the market. You know, I'm also a co-founder of a Web3 marketing studio, and I work with many of such projects, helping them market their services and grow their community, scale their community. Also link in the descri- description for all of those who are interested. It's called TGS. And I and I see this market and I see how, how many struggles uh, Web3 founders are facing right now and creators of mm. NFT collections are facing right now. So maybe you can uh, um, tell about your experience in how you help them, what your opinion is on uh, the current trends. Will it become uh, uh, warmer for the crypto market in the near future? Going back to your question about whether it's harder to track projects, it's actually twofold. So yes, you're right. There are fewer projects that want to launch. But at the same time, because the market is really, really tough for most of them to attract attention to get users or to, you know, just even raise the money. That's why they're more willing to work with the Launchpad because it's a platform, it's a stage for them to gather together for everyone to watch at the same place. For them, if they are bootstrapping, they're co-starting, it's going to be very, very hard to, for them to get initial attention. But with us, because we have existing community and whatnot, it's actually easier. So although there were fewer number of projects that want to launch at this time, I would say a lot of them that are high quality, when we reach out, like they were also very interested in the idea because like they know that having the collaboration means like they could potentially get more users and audiences' attention. And that's very important for any project at the early stage. And then to the second part of the question about um, my view on the market. Um, yeah, I mean, like generally speaking, the macro economy is just relatively tough. So I wouldn't kind of just say over indexing is a crypto only thing. Um, what I would say is that I, I think this year it's kind of like similar to 2019, where like the, the first half of the year might be interesting because like the market really like after FTX, it hasn't really been so long. And then there's already, you know, some sort of like there's already some sort of uptick. So it seems like markets still have some confidence, but I don't think this is the end. But like, again, like this is not a financial advice, right? Obviously, like we were not Obviously. building any of our product ba- based on the, the the market condition and whatnot. But I think this whole year is going to be interesting in the sense that it's a good time for us to build because when there are not that many people that are speculating, we get to have the room, the space to experiment different types of things. Because like people are not really here to try to earn money and then people are not going to, you know, they're going to be more tolerant rent to you and then they will allow you to do all kinds of things and, and give you feedback, honest feedback as users. And then like as we continue to build more things, I think in the upcoming year, which we hope there's like a 
you know, major improvement within the market condition, I think we will be ready. So I think it's, again, like it's like all of us know, it's, it's very tough right now, but it's also the best time to build. Like people won't be extremely serious about like if you, even if you make mistakes, like it's okay, like you can still restart and then do something else. It's all about like how you think of it. And from our builder perspective, it's a good time. I really liked your phrase, it's time to build. I remembered the article by Mark Andreessen, I think, which he wrote during the <laughs> time. Uh, uh, also, link in the description, guys, everything that we are references, uh, referencing, you can check out and learn in more depth. I do recommend this, this text, very uh, inspiring. I'd like to also discuss with you uh, your views on the future of Web3 in general in a more like philosophical uh, context because many Web3 enthusiasts, builders and uh, uh, founders and investors uh, like yourself are very enthusiastic about the way it's gonna change the world. Well, obviously there are many different use cases of uh, Web3, of crypto that are only emerging at this time and people are discussing how it can all change even the way the society is uh, governed the way people live interact with each other maybe it will help create a better future for 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 the world what is your opinion on that uh, are you enthusiastic about these global changes that may or may not occur due to web3 technologies and what is what is the area that you are most excited about I always like to answer questions in two folds and same as this one. So let me talk about a little bit what crypto really can do or what Web3 stacks can do. I think it's the first time in human history where people have the lowest friction of transaction across the world, right? Like you don't need any banking infrastructure. You don't anything like protocol like SWIFT to approve you to send money from one place to another place. If you were in the US, you want to send say 10 million to Africa, that's probably like, you know, it can feed a, a whole city in Africa for a long period of time. In a finger snap, like it will just send through, right? That's just like nothing can compare that. Like people don't really realize that, but, you know, compared to the Bitcoin UDXO model, the Ethereum account-based model is just such a fascinating innovation where everyone can send you know, each other some sort of transactions within the finger snap. And that's really amazing. So I think this is, you know, as simple as that. But then at the same time, I think more importantly is that all of these tokenomics that we are talking about every day on blockchain, it's the first time that we can very elegantly leverage these tokenomics to bond everyone with the incentive network. You know, you can like organize human labors, especially the ones that are digitized through the distribution of the incentives on blockchain. One good example is Helium. I wasn't sure if that's like something you are familiar with, but essentially it's like, it's a network that incentivize people to um, provide hotspot through the Helium hotspot network. And then like people will be able to use that um, IOT network that the, the LoRa network that they provide the network to do other things and like such as like you know sending the this like very small bits of information. So that's just like one small example. But I think the idea is that you know because everything is on chain when it is on a blockchain because like everything on chain can travel very frictionlessly. You can literally use that as incentive network to move a lot of the human labor 
around. So that's the upside of crypto. But but I think downside is that the computing, the storage, and whatever costs on chain is extremely, extremely expensive. And I used to think that a lot of the things should be on chain and should be verified. But now I actually think differently. Now I think a lot of things, if they're not as worthwhile, they should just not be on, at least not on the public chain like Solana or Ethereum. Sure, like some of the people, they can run app specific chain where like one specific blockchain just dedicated to one specific app. But like, you know, the security and everything is just not comparable to Ethereum, to Solana or to some, you know, other, I I guess, like global state public chain that we are talking about. But I think at the same time, it's going to be interesting that I think people are all are realizing that not everything is worthwhile to be stored and computed on chain and only the ones that it's worth the money or worth the value should be stored and computed on chain. And the rest of it, I think people like sometimes they exaggerate a little bit about like how the blockchain can change your life, change change the world. Sure, like I said, in the first half of this, I think it is improving quite a few people's life and then make it very easy, especially for the ones who do not have a bank, who do not have the ability to organize the human labor across the globe. Now, a lot of people can do that. But at the same time, we also should be bear in mind that everything has a cost. And I think for anyone who just wants to, you know, do something on chain, they should think about like whether it's worth the cost of on-chain verification, or worth the cost of using the blockchain to store something. So I guess that's my answer to your question. I really liked your point about uh, the fact that you need to think about if it's worthwhile to add blockchain to your uh, technology, to your startup, for example, because uh, also working in this area, I see many projects where founders just uh, decide to add blockchain to to raise money because there is a lot of hype around this, but they actually don't need that for the particular technology. But I wanted to ask about the way that this all might, the blockchain uh, and related technologies might uh, change uh, uh, maybe the way that uh, our society is run. You probably have heard about the soulbound tokens, for example, the the notion introduced by Vitalik Buterin or the network state proposed by also other Web3 enthusiasts. Are you like enthusiastic, optimistic about that or you think it's uh, it's unlikely to, 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 to happen? So I think the soulbound token at the end, it's talking about like having, like storing the important credentials that someone has, like the, you know, the behavior someone has done or some sort of achievement that someone has done. And then as non-transferable NFT on like associated with that account, right? And then like, you know, in the future, that just becomes like, like I said, credential of that account. That's really the idea. It's very interesting and necessary. I think a lot of people were trying to even upload some of the off-chain state, which are not originally, you know, some of the behavior, some of the actions that were not originally you know, started from a blockchain, but they wanted to record that on-chain, right? So at the end, it's not about how I think of this or like whether this would, um, what, whether this makes sense to me or not. It's more, it's more about whether the market think it's worthwhile. Let's say some action, it's very worthwhile to be 
verified on chain and everyone wants to verify that thing um, so that they can be, let's say, go in, like approved or admitted into a community that are very high value. That behavior, that action becomes something that it should just, you know, spend the money to upload to the blockchain and then get verified. And that becomes like a, you know, state to to worthwhile the, the cost of being verified on chain. I think one thing that it's to consider is that, you know, whether something it's easy for um, a smart contract to, to record. And, and obviously, like I think a lot of the behavior people have, it's like such as like providing liquidity to a AMM. You know, those are already activities that you can already index on chain. You don't really need to upload them. So those are easy. I think um, quite a few other things such as like, you know, if you do a lot of the very complicated activities and some of the states are off chain, that becomes a question because like, you know, at the end, it's also something that, you know, requires human resources and effort to put it on chain associated with your account. So at the end, I think the market will answer that. Um, the market will justify whether something makes sense or not. If one person puts everything of like that he did in his past life on chain and no one verifies it, then like, what's the point, right? So um, it's all about just demand and supply at the end. Yeah, we will see where this all leads us and the world. Dear listeners, dear viewers, if you want me and Mabel to meet up for uh, a second part of this podcast uh, in uh, several months to discuss maybe uh, the future of Web3 uh, or the Asian Web3 and crypto industry, drop a comment and uh, maybe we can make this happen. Mabel, thank you so much for your insights. I, I will continue following the developments at Find Satoshi Lab and uh, making content about uh, the trends of development of Web3 and looking forward to listening to new episodes of your podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you, Greg, for having me. Have a good one. This was the Greg Mastreader podcast. Subscribe to us on all audio platforms and on YouTube. See you.